So I'm very excited to have uh, Marcus with me today. Marcus, do you want to give an introduction to yourself and your business? Yes. So I'm one of the co-founders of Fountain Partnership. We're a strategic digital marketing agency set up at the end of 2008, beginning of 2009, which was a, a fun time to launch an agency. And we've scaled from there. And there's now just under 50 of us, predominantly in Norwich, but a number of people around the UK and then a small base in North America to look after the North American clients. Main services are pay-per-click, SEO and conversion rate optimization. But we look at the whole funnel, ideally. Who do you serve? I mean, is there a particular sector? I'm assuming with having a satellite office over in Canada as well, that you're kind of multinational. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's hard not to pick up US clients, right? It's such a big market. Um, and also we've got a number of clients with offices around the world. So we're, we're doing with EMEA. We can also deal with the Americas as well. Um, it's just useful having people on different time zones. But to your question, Rob, no, no particular sectors that we've just honed in completely, but we do have, you know how it is in agency world. You, you, you pick up a client through a contact in a particular sector. You end up doing a good job for them. And then the word spreads and you end up getting lots. An example is we have a number of train companies in the UK. Now, none of us are train spotters or, you know, <laughs> or, but in fairness, they're brilliant clients to work with. The, the marketing teams are very switched on and they're yeah. up for trying new things. But yeah, we, we did really well for Abellio and Stansted Express. And then we've got these other train lines from around the country joining us <laughs> you know, as the years went on by. But yeah, the sort of sectors other sort of things you'd imagine so it's like finance insurance lots of tech lots of SaaS. um picked up quite a bit of pharma recently property so yeah uh, and lots of retail of course because you know e-coms exploding so that yeah. should give people a, an idea of what we're all about pre pre-lockdown pre-covid yeah um, there were a lot of agency consultants and specialists saying you know niche down pick a sector which <laughs> for some agencies was their downfall when lockdown hit because some of those sectors just massively retracted their marketing budgets and some of the agencies failed because of it, you know, travel, travel yeah. um, sector based agency services really, really struggled across that period. So I don't think it's necessarily a, a problem having a few different no. sectors in your mix. Well, the, the idea of that is to give you a differentiator, right? So be, be the best in that sector. But mm -hmm. I think like, for us, it was like, let's just try and be the best at marketing. So let's think about it from the client's point of view. Let's minimize risk by forecasting up front and then maximize return on investment by optimizing each stage of the funnel. Yep. So minimizing the downside, maximizing the upside. And just that's what people want. They, want. they want the best return on investment and they don't want to look ridiculous because they appointed an agency and they lost a lot of money, which unfortunately happens. So our, our big thing was very much focusing on that rather than going, let's pick a sector. And it, I mean, it does help to say, I've done this in your sector before, but I find we, we enter new sectors and show our methodology. And I think, you know, if they're marketeers, they'll get that. So that, that's what's worked best for us. But I, I understand the logic. Obviously, we're about 10 years old around that time. So for us to have just niched into one, it means getting rid of lots of other clients, which wouldn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it does work. In America, actually, a lot of agencies I network with in America, that is a lot more common, that they have a, a niche, they call it. You know? Yeah, 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 niche. So, uh, yeah, I can see the logic. But again, I if you want to differentiate, just strive for excellence in terms of what you do, the technology you use, you know, there's R&D tax credits for stitching bits of tech up and doing something unique that way. Mm -hmm. I think that's more exciting to strive for excellence in performance rather than just go, well, we found a tiny niche and we're 
the biggest player in that so you need to keep coming to us but but that's just my view so you know i'm sure no. there's other arguments out there no, I, I agree I, I put some content out i think it was linkedin not too long ago about like the crosshair niche mm. or niche mechanism where it, it's not just about necessarily working for a particular sector it's actually about what you do within that sector so yes you know you could work with the travel sector for example but only specifically do google ppc rather than yeah. being a broad media buying agency that you know serves all the channels that that doubling down creates that real guru point that real go-to point but it carries risks and not all agencies yeah. have to look at those risks and analyze them before they make that move and also the thing people don't think about is just the staff's well-being right like you know, I mean, to be honest, there was a stage where we wanted to do less retail because mm -hmm. retail, you know, generally has smaller margins, less money or whatever. But the team really enjoy working on e-com. Yeah. And to attract really talented people that enjoy e-com, then, you know, like for retention and, you know, attracting staff, actually you need to offer them clients that are exciting to them. So if we just niched in a very small, like, you know, PPC for a particular type of pharmaceutical yeah, some people might love that, but it's going to be quite hard to attract really good people, a lot of experience, just say, you're just doing this. You know, I think people choose agency over client side because they get that broader range of experience. But yeah. Just another consideration, really, when you, you look at how to approach it. Mm. Cast your mind back across, like, the entire agency's lifespan. You know, it's, yeah. it's giving birth as founders and building the team and all the rest. Could you pinpoint uh, a like a single the single biggest challenge or mistake that that you feel that you made with the agency and, and just kind of talk us through that yeah so i think the biggest mistake was not not looking after myself not developing as a business owner mm. and what i mean by that is that when you start the agency you're in more you know i, I deem startup mode right so and we've, and we've, everyone listening to this who's, who's been in business knows that when you first start the agency, you have to work sort of 60, 70 hour weeks. You have to do everything and you have to get involved and you have to just keep pushing, right? Yep. And in the first couple of years, you know, you're, you're fueled by that excitement. And, but the trouble is you're then creating habits of this is how I am in business. And I think the thing came for us around, so 2016, we won Google's first ever premier partner award for best search performance agency. And that allowed us to, you know, win a massive, client worth sort of 45 grand a month and i thought right you know this, this, that that at the time was a large percentage of our turnover so i was like right we need to go out i need to go out and go into beast mode if you like and just absolutely smash it to try and bring in lots of more people to bring down that percentage de-risk the business and level us up to being a couple of million turnover yeah. which you know in hindsight was a bit of a mistake i was trying to do everything and then the trouble is when you get stressed, as I've learned, you actually get more stupid. Like you're in fight or flight. It actually shuts down parts of the brain and you're more impulsive and you think short term. Mm -hmm. And actually short termism is, is sort of a big thing I probably want to talk about with you today because I think that's, that's, that is the biggest mistake really in agency owners make, right? They then start taking on clients that aren't right. You know, they're, they're too small, you know, the day rate's too low they're, because they want to hit a target or fill a gap or they're scared, like in my instance, that, oh gosh, we've got this big client, but they're only going to be here for a, potentially a year. What if they go and we've hired all these people and all the rest of it? So there's something around the short termism. But my story was I, you know, I, I worked really hard throughout 2017. Um, 
the client ended up leaving because and it was a real shame we hit their targets but the marketing director left and they brought in a new one and she wanted to bring in a much bigger international agency mm-hmm. and that she'd been working with in her previous job so then I had to work even harder to try and fill that gap and then I had I had burnout in September 2018 I think I remember talking to you about this I had to take months off and also during that time you know my other half wasn't I mean I, I run fountain with uh, a couple of friends and my other half Rebecca but I definitely wasn't particularly pleasant to work with I think the staff found me difficult I think I was impulsive I was there's a book called multiplies by Liz Wiseman as mm-hmm. highly recommend it talks about it, different two two leadership styles there's multipliers who get the most out of people and raise the collective IQ and then there's diminishers who sort of lower the collective IQ in the room because they put people on the spot they're you know coming up with some ideas they're just taking over the room they're always the smart one they're always on they're always pushing and I was a diminisher and you know the cost of that to my relationship with Rebecca like we're, we're still together it's fine but we'll probably both say that 2018 wasn't the best year for us the relationships with staff members like no one quit because of me but people said they didn't enjoy working with me um it was it was it was terrible and it's that so i then had to go on this journey of going oh shit you know what what happened to the bouncy enthusiastic marcus of 10 years ago who you know who loved what he did and what's coming into it with joy and delight and now I'm sort of this monster who's just angry all the time. Why are we hitting targets? Why aren't we doing this? And it's because I just work myself up. And again, I don't know how much people know about the way the brain works and neuroplasticity, but you're constant, the brain's constantly changing and rewiring, right? It's like nerve cells that fire together, wire together. So the more you practice being stressed and angry, the easier it is for you to be that way. Mm-hmm. So, and then the more you're in fight or flight, the more then you start getting physical problems, right? So my thing was in September 2018, I woke up and I'd lost feeling in my arms and legs. I could still move them, but they were just tingly and odd. And that happened for, for weeks. And I went to the doctors and I was terrified. And they said, we don't know. And went up to a neurologist. And eventually they just said, you've got something called functional neurological disorder, which is brought on by stress. You've, you've, you, you know, and I thought, gosh, that, I'm actually making myself sick. And you go back to why you set up a business in the first place. It's so you can, you know, have the time, you know, have money to look after your health, have longevity, to be happier. (laughs) You know, why are we doing this? So then I had to go on this this new journey of, okay, how how can I, how do I, how do I break out of startup, startup mode? Because actually at the time, Fountain was doing okay. You know, the good news is all the extra work. Well, you know, had paid off in some ways because Fountain was still growing, probably despite me in fairness. But we're in a position where actually we're sort of at the back then, maybe 1.52 million turnover mark. And there were people that I, I, you know, that could do do stuff and I needed to start relying on them and start learning to delegate better. A brilliant book I read around that time was called Essentialism. Have you read that one, Rob? (laughs) Do you know what? On my bookshelf somewhere behind me, I've actually got two copies of it. (laughs) <laughs> bizarrely have you opened them though i've actually well i've opened one of them there's no point in opening both um <laughs> but, I, but I, I i bought one and started reading it and you and i had a conversation a couple of years ago where you mentioned it and i bought it again yeah. forgetting that i'd already got it. yeah yeah but 
that that book is actually so the guy Greg McEwen he writes it he writes for people probably in our situation right we're we're actually successful on paper as business owners and and because I mean the books are about how to set up your business and how to grow it and how to get the motivation and we're, we're past that stage his thing is like you're successful how do you how do you burn out how do you do more with less how do you focus on impact rather than hours right because if it's always an equation with i need to do more hours and have more energy that will diminish as i get older and, and, and have more going on in my head so actually i need to flip it and focus on okay where's the leverage points how can i how can i actually like what are the vital few things i can do this week that will have a disproportionate impact because that's true if you look back over the best clients you've ever won or the the big moments in your life where somebody made a decision you did something and it had a massive impact they're very small things in terms of time and it's actually just prioritizing those and the way to see them is to slow down mm-hmm. see the thing i've i've learned is that we have an inner speed right because everyone says i'll slow down externally or whatever but actually if you're racing and you're in fight or flight all the time and you're filled with cortisol it shuts down parts of your brain and you you can't think as clearly but if you slow down and you're in what's your body's releasing what's called dhea serotonin a really nice relaxed happy hormones you actually open up parts of your brain to have deeper insights and I think, I mean, most of our listeners will probably agree. I mean, Rob, like where, where do you have your best ideas? It's it's always, always been like down the beach, in the woods, whatever. And I, I learned this from running production for agencies for years. I could directly see financial benefit and allowing people the headspace in their working week to chill and be creative and feel more productive like that actually grew the agencies the the flip side of that is hammer them hammer them hammer them hammer them like look at metrics keep them working put in 16 hours a day like you say the 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 ability to make the right decisions and think creatively you just hammer it out of yourself and then before you know it you're in that horrible tailspin which it sounds like you went into and it's almost like a death spiral there's there's hardly any way out of it it's, it's a vicious cycle I mean, one of my favorite quotes is the difference between humans and machines. Mm. Humans start when you press stop. Yeah. But here's the thing. Like, I mean, you consult with a lot of agencies, Rob. I mean, how often do you go in and there isn't what you used to give your guys, which is time to be creative, to let ideas flow? Like how many agencies, when you look at, are actually they're on the productive end of the spectrum of like back-to-back meetings, metrics, push, push, push. I mean, presumably it's, I imagine most of them are on that side of it. There's very it's, few. It's, it's got to be 95%. And, yeah. and when, when I spend time looking at profitability mm. with those agencies and spend time with their ops team or their finance team or whatever, they're normally constantly overrunning. And yeah. to me, that's a massive indicator. There's no buffer. There's not even buffer for scope creep within the projects, never mind headspace to think laterally or think creatively or the ability to debrief on a project and do lessons learn and and you know iterate that into continuous improvement yeah. <laughs> they're, they're literally up against it all the time you finish that thing late you move on to the next one and play catch up it's like oh my god like the whole agency is just scattergun which is right and then horrible and, and and that will come from the founders downwards right you're in that vital flight um, and when you're in that position, when it's that push to the wire, there's going to be a lot of drama. 
Yeah. And another great quote I love from Keith Cunningham, who wrote The Road Less Stupid, is drama is expensive. Yeah. And it's expensive not just for money, but for health, for everything. So the biggest mistake is actually falling into that, just maintaining startup mode as you scale your business, because that's kind of what it was. And actually now, I mean, it was still, we're still not getting it perfect, but there's an awareness that actually, you know, we need to slow down internally. We need to actually trust. And it's a weird thing to say, like, oh, I need to go for more walks. I need to go, like, walk on the beach. Go, you know, go. I need to do less. I have less in my diary. Mm-hmm. And then trust the insights of how to, you know, and insights of those leverage points, the things that will have the bigger impact, disproportionate impact, will come. And it is a matter of faith a little bit. Like, really, if I'm just going to, you know, well, I'm just going to put on Netflix if I just have like an afternoon of just chilling. But you're not actually, you know, the fact that you're here, the fact you're listening to this podcast now, the fact that you run a business, you're not lazy. Mm-hmm. So just literally you know, read the book Essentialism. Like the, there's a lovely rule in it, which he calls the 90% rule. So only do, so there's no such thing as yes anymore. If someone's asked you to do something, so you go, hell yeah, like, yes, I really want to do this. Or it's no. And you're just militant about that. You do less and discern, you know, the, the vital few from the trivial many. And that, that's really big. And it's something I'm still trying to work on. But- well, th- this, th- this, this is the thing, isn't it? Is yeah. when you go from that startup mode, mm. grind and hustle, I have to be all over everything. I have to understand everything. I have to control everything. Running a business means that I have to put 18 hours a day into it or whatever. Yeah. To go to not feeling guilty about taking time out, to retraining the plasticity of your mind to go, Yeah. when I'm doing this other thing, when I'm with my family, I'm, I'm now learning to not think about work. When I'm walking the dog, I might subconsciously be thinking through a problem in the back of my mind, but I'm not consciously going through a to-do list of things. When I'm watching Netflix or doing something like reading, I'm not irritated by the fact that I'm taking time out. That is quite a lengthy process, depending on how deep you were in hustle mode, because you're retraining yourself to learn to relax and and be kind of more cognitively aware of of, of situations that you're in rather than just being in fight or flight mode. And I think that goes back to my original point of the mistake is not not having that vertical development, right? There's a guy called Dr. Alan Watkins. I, I, yeah, I love his stuff. We work with him, but he talks about vertical development versus horizontal. So horizontal development will be me learning more tricks to or more tactics to grow my agency, right? But the vertical development is me learning to slow down, be more patient, mm-hmm. get less frustrated, listen better, be more present. Like, that's really cool. Like, I... There's a guy called Ryan Holiday who wrote um, The Obstacle is the Way. And he, I, I saw an interview with him with Tim Ferriss. And Tim Ferriss said, hey, Ryan, so what are your, what's your big, hairy goal for this year? You know, how much money do you want to make? And all the rest of it. He's like, well, no, my goal for this year is to be more patient. He's like, yeah, but what do you want to do? Like, do you want to get, yeah, do you, do you want to buy some more businesses? Whatever. He's like, no, no, no. I, I think I want to spend, I want to be more present with my children. And all of his goals were just vertical development goals. Mm-hmm. And it just, and it was so rare. But you kind of like, like Tim pushed him and said, like, do, do you not care about money? He goes, no, I'm, I'm pretty, like, I've got my systems in place. I'm pretty well off and I've got my, my plans, but that's not a big goal that I'm obsessed with. The thing I'm focused on is actually just this, this vertical development, just being a better person. And I think that that's the key. If you focus on that, then actually you will be a, a leader 
that's worthy of an agency that turns over four, five, six million. You, you know, you you evolve to be a better CEO or founder or whatever. Yeah. Because if not, your business grows bigger than you and you're sort of left behind because you're still in startup, do everything, interfere with people rather than empower people. You know, the from that book, Multipliers, there's a great quote that like leadership is about putting others on stage. And I'm still making that mistake. You know, the guys fed back to me a few weeks ago, said, hey, Marcus, look, you know, I've been off because I've had long COVID. But said, like, you know, like, it's great you're back in the business, but actually, you know, we need you to give us a bit more space to come up with the ideas ourselves. And I got that. I was like, yeah, you know, I need to be helping you have the epiphany rather than me having an epiphany and just giving it to you. you know? Well, that's a, that, that's a beautiful thing because that's almost like bringing up a kid. Like yeah. if you think about the situation, mm. 2017, 2018, yeah. chances are the team were in a situation where they didn't say to you that they needed more space to grow. Yeah. You know, it, it's clearly showing a, a, an improvement, a little bit like when your kid's actually got a voice and feels empowered enough to say, hey, I want to do something different. Kind of got, going back to that burnout stage. Yes. That, effect on on you the effect on or you know potential risk to the agency and all the rest what did you find were the was the solution you know what steps did you go through yeah. to actually start to resolve and and taking into account that there are still mistakes being made along the way but we're all human you know what what were the big shifts that you made to to resolve that yeah so i took five weeks off and i paid to go see who in my, a guy who, in my opinion, is, is the best coach in the world, a guy called Michael Neal, lives out in LA, uh, works, <laughs> tends to work with Hollywood actors, and I think he worked with the, the senior team at Netflix. And, like, you know, I just thought, like, he's the coach's coach, right? Like, all the, all the top coaches that you speak to in the UK, they go off and train under Michael Neal. So I thought, well, I'll pay to get him as my coach, which was quite a, quite a chunk of cash, but I thought, this is a serious problem I need to solve it. I had a three-day intensive with him. And he just got me to realize that thing of like, oh, my problem I've got is lots of noise in head, right? Very general. I've just got lots of fast chatting thinking. And underneath that noise, I'm okay, right? So, you know, when you first wake up in the morning and you're like, you know, before the chatter starts, there is a sense of serenity. Or if you, when, when you're going for a walk in the woods or the beach, you just sort of settle down and you're just you. Mm -hmm. That's always there. That's the... That's the sun and the blue sky behind the clouds, right? And the and like thought is great, right? The chatting analytical thought is brilliant. And it's always sort of there. They call it the monkey mind in Buddhism. And the trick is, is just accept that, you know, you, you feel your thinking, you have these thoughts and they'll move through. But we have innate well-being. And also when we slow down, We'll get deeper insights. So the thing he taught me, I said, look, I really need to be up in my head lots, Michael, because I have lots of important meetings. I need to prep and obsess and all the rest of it. You know, it's the obsession that's good. And he's like, is that true though? Tell me about when you're in the zone. And I was just like, what do you mean? He's like, when have you had a really good meeting where things just flowed or you presented and it's just flowed? Did you have lots on your mind or not very much? I was like, mm, probably not as much. He's like, right. But the universal truth is that humans do better when they have less on their minds. Mm -hmm. So he said, look, why don't you just turn up to meetings? And he gave me a little mantra, he called it Marcus in the moment, and just turn up fresh and see what comes to, comes to you. And I bet you that will be better because you'll be in the room, not in your head. You'll be listening to people and connecting with them. And you'll be speaking from your heart. You'll be speaking as Marcus, not obsessed, angry, fight or flighty Marcus. 
And that, and as soon as I sort of realized that, I just started settling down, right? And just, mm-hmm. and every day, you know, I still get caught up in crappy thoughts and worried about the business and stuff, but I've got so much better at just letting them go and realizing they're just thoughts, right? Like, I'm just sort of saying to Michael, and that I was like, oh, you know, I get really stressed when I see the numbers. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, I open the spreadsheet, the numbers are bad for the business and the agency dashboard, I get stressed. He's like, right, you know, that's scientifically impossible. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you're trying to tell me there are these magic stress germs that come out of the spreadsheet, fly through the air, go up your nose. And I was like, yeah, actually, it's a good point. He goes, right, can you see that you're creating the stress? And if you're creating, it's coming from the inside, you can also just let it go. And you don't even have to let it go, right? You could just, by just watching it, it just begins to dissipate by just going, oh, yeah, I'm creating that. And if I'm in a good mood and I see low numbers, I think it will be all right. And if I'm in a bad mood, I think this is it. You know, we're going to have to lay people off or whatever. And so realizing that my mood, that I'm creating it or that my mood is a big part of it was fascinating. So just having those realizations, you know, the the school of psychology, I couldn't call it psychology, that Michael sort of works with, it's called the three principles. So I'd, I'd highly recommend that. And actually, I don't know if you're able to make it, but I actually got Michael to come over to Norwich and I, I he did a, an evening session for business owners in Norwich. I'm not sure if I shared, but I, I can share with the, you the video of that. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I remember the invite for that. I couldn't make it because yeah. we've got a US client that we were working with. Yeah, but anyway, so that that really helped. Um, I mean, the irony is of all of this, mate, you'll love this because anyone who doesn't know me will go, well, that was good, good for him. You know, he sorted it out, happy ever after. And of course, you know, 2019 was a brilliant year because I'd remembered all this stuff. And then 2020 hit, I caught COVID in March 2020 and I completely forgot everything I'd learned. I went straight back into fight or flight whilst having COVID and ended up having long COVID for two years. So it's almost like, what's that saying in life? Uh, Yeah, a lesson's repeated until learned. So I hadn't learned it fully. I was like, well, you know, I I can be chilled until there's a real problem like COVID. And then I realised that, yeah, that helped facilitate a burnout with long COVID, which was quite stupid. But I mean, a, a lot of the things we're talking about are, are actually principles within meditation, aren't they? That there's a, a, a guy that like you're saying about, you know, the, the kind of wake up routine. I always get up early. I've always got up at like yeah. five o'clock in the morning. Mm. And I learn over the years to like ignore this thing. Won't touch it. Don't look yeah. at my to-do list. Don't do anything else. I literally, I read and I meditate in the morning. Um, there's a guy... I think it's through the car map, a uh, Canadian guy called Jeff Warren, who mm. does guided meditations dailies, but he's a little bit different. Mm. And it's finding the person that can show you the way and then creating that consistency. But a lot of what you talk about, about seeing things and letting them go by, you know, recognizing that they're there, but not necessarily acting on them. They're kind of core principles of, of meditation practice. They are. The heart, the part of it I hadn't, and the thing that I used to do mindfulness, and the thing I didn't realize is that actually I'm okay underneath all that noise, right? And that I can have deeper insights if I slow down. So there's a beautiful book on this called Slowing Down to the Speed of Life. Mm-hmm. And what they talk about is there's sort of you almost got two parts of the brain. There's the analytical part of the brain, which is right, right, okay, I need to work out this problem, I need to build this spreadsheet, I need to do a to-do list for the day. And then there's what they call free flow. And the problem is in business, we spend 95% of our time in, in this analytical mode. And also we try and use the analytical part of the brain for dealing with human interactions and emotional problems and stuff. 
And actually, we're not so good at doing it that way. It just doesn't, it just doesn't seem to work. Like analytical is great for a mathematical problem where there's a solution, where you have all the variables in place. But if there's a HR issue at Fountain and I'm being pulled into it, for example, I need to sort of listen with that more free flow, deeper part. I need to listen from my heart. I need to and and bring a, a bigger part of me to it because the analytical parts from the sort of prefrontal cortex, and that you know it, it's limit is very limited in what it can can see and do. Script scripted, sorry, unscripted question for you. Actually, I was thinking about oh, well. today. So, a couple of clients that I do ops consulting with are PPC based US PPC agencies, very data driven, very metrics driven. When you yeah. compare them to brand agencies, that kind of thing. Like Ecom PPC is all about the numbers, effectively. It's mm. all about the metric. It's analyzing yeah. the numbers. It's seeing the patterns. I was going to ask you, from the point of view of being a founder of a, you know, PPC or a data-driven agency, do you think that that actually creates a challenge in itself? Because you guys are built to do the analytical stuff, and yeah. yet the very challenge that you have is not over-analyzing. And, and, and it's almost like the day job and the you clash yeah. occasionally because of the behaviors you're entirely right and i think a lot of ppcs get really stressed because they when you've got a hammer everything looks like a nail right when you mm. can put something in a spreadsheet and don't get me wrong like i love data i love the scientific methodology like it's brilliant but you need all the data in place right or you have to make assumptions and the problem is where you're dealing with some you know some hardware that's very old where you've got like a brain that's very emotional as well right mm then actually you're not being that rational. So you're trying to take a logical thing and you can't, you can't solve a feeling, right? When I'm stressed in a low mood, the way I've always solved it in my life, and you have kids as well, the way my son solves it is he just waits yep. and knows it will pass. Like when, when Zach gets upset, he come, I, taught, I sort of shared with these ideas and he comes to me and goes, Daddy, I'm having bad thoughts which actually is better than him saying like, I hate my life or I hate my teachers or he just realized he's having bad thoughts about them. I say, now Zach, what do we do when we get bad thoughts? He's like, we wait for them to go. We don't do anything and they do. And it, just knowing that is enough. It's enough to take that pressure valve off because then you don't actually have to do anything. Yeah. Like it's so true. Like we've all had that experience of like being in a low mood, getting an email from someone, getting offended and then reading again the next day and thought, oh wow, that's not actually what they meant at all. What yeah. was wrong with me? Yeah, literally in a different part of, you know, like different parts of your brain, like light up and shut down. Um, like Dr. Alan Watkins talks about that. He talks about, you know, when you get stressed and then you fight or flight, you have what's called like a frontal lobe lobotomy. <laughs> it's true because we don't need to think analytically when we're stressed. So actually, the more stressed you get, the more stupider you get. And there are times when I'm stressed out and I'm like, right, that's it. I'm subbing myself off. Yeah. I, I, it's like a game of football like right that's it you're going home for an early bath mark it's like you're in a bad mood you're going to end up causing more damage than, than good in this business today go go for a walk go home and just wait and it will pass you're not your best I, 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 I completely agree I swear my dog knows when projects that I'm working on are difficult because she's, she's getting walked more yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the pattern of the walks changes I will literally yeah. get to a point and you know other people particularly clients or partners might find this a bit abstract, but I'll get to a point where it's like, I'm not going to keep smashing at the keyboard and trying to like brute force my way through this problem. I'm off out. Yeah. I'm just taking the afternoon off. I'm going to go and do something else. And I'll come back hundred percent of the time. 
It used to, it used to take longer, but but now I'll, I'll come back with a solution, and everything's calmer, and everything's much more in flow. So it is that that you got to sub yourself off. You got to see that there's a problem, and you've just got to go right, change direction, go and chill. And I think that's it. And it is it is difficult because I think logical sort of you know process driven people do see us like machines and get annoyed that we're not, and it's inconvenient that we have to sub ourselves off or that quote I said about you know human start when you press stop that's annoying I can't put that in a spreadsheet Marcus's creative time right I was listening to a podcast and I was talking about this sort of about creativity and productivity and someone came up to him afterwards and said so how long do I need to get my guys to shower for to <laughs> creative ideas it's like no you can't force it right and that's annoying but it's also liberating at the same time you know, it's like saying, now we're going to have fun, Rob. Let's schedule in some fun. Yeah. You know, it's like scheduled fun's the best fun. <laughs> like it, just, yeah. it, it can't happen. And I think, you know, as creators, we know this. As PPCers, we we kind of don't want to acknowledge it, but it's it's sort of true. So it's, you know, there are times when you have to be in logical mode, but it's being able to flick between the two. And I will go into a plug for that book, Slowing Down to the Speed of Life by Dr. Richard Carlson and Joseph Bailey, because they they talk about that flicking between analytical and free flow as that, that that's the way to, to liberation. They've got a chapter called the seven, seven ways to deal with stress, which I've actually print typed up and printed out. And I give to my team members when they're stressed. And it, it basically is saying this sort of thing that accepting that, you know, you're feeling your thinking, it will pass. Um, and if you're in a low state of mind, the fact you're in a you're feeling negative emotion is a message that you shouldn't be listening to the to what's what's in your head right now. It's a message that's saying, wait, wait for you to become your best self, and then you'll know what to do and just trust that. And that goes back to the biggest mistake with all this, Rob, is not having vertical development and then having having health problems and the universe push me into this this sort of learning this stuff. Um, and it's so much better. And I'm, you know, fountains. 50 people bigger than it's ever been uh brilliant senior leadership team led by alice rose as md and gareth as fd and there's like my job now is to network and to just go and, and engage with people and try and help right that's a nice way place to be and i imagine it's what other agency owners look to at some point but i had to go through hell internally to figure this stuff out so anyone listening hopefully they can pick up some of the books that I've mentioned potentially, or just start working on that introspection mm -hmm. and just start realizing that there's some truth there, that I have my best ideas when I'm slowed down, that I often have arguments with my other half when I, when one or two of us are in a low mood, right? Me and Rebecca learned this stuff and it's like, if one of us is in a bad mood and wants to start an argument, we're like, let's put a pin in it, right? Because there's a hundred percent failure rate, right? <laughs> We've got forecasting. If one or two of us is in a bad mood, the argument never ends well. Mm -hmm. So what are we do, we're entering into a hundred percent failure, you know, you know, endeavor right now of having an argument. So let's write down what we want to discuss. And I'll tell her in two days' time, and we're both in a good mood. We'll we'll look at it, and then in two days' time, and often we forget we actually wrote those things down on our phones. And then we do. I go, really? Was I pissed? Off? <laughs> yeah. What was that? <laughs> yeah. But if that's true in your relationship with your other half. It's also true of your relationship with your business, with your clients, with everyone. So, so much of it ties into your mood and not taking it, it, seriously it, it, when you're it It's taken me years to, to realise that it's the relationship with yourself. Mm -hmm. um, that idea of self-love, that idea of looking after yourself, that's, 
you know, in our, in our culture, that's almost a, a, a polar opposite to what you should be as a grinding business owner. Like, you know, you, you're all about the numbers, you're all about the making money and all the rest. But actually, if you can't look after yourself and you can't look after friends and family, chances are you can't look after the business either. It always comes yeah. back to you. Casting back, mm. if we could go in a time machine and you yeah. could take what you know now, I know it's that hindsight, horrible hindsight, yeah. but you know, what would, what would you impart to younger Marcus as, as advice to avoid such a big mistake um, as, as younger Marcus develops his agency? You don't have to work yourself up to get what you want. Mm. And actually, you're going to end up you know, sabotaging yourself and the business. You know, you're going to become your worst fears. You're going to become someone you don't like if you don't pay attention and have that introspection. And it's so counterintuitive, but there is this moment when you need to flip from startup to grown up, you know. Um, I was on a mastermind group with someone who I, I probably can't give his name because it was closed mastermind, but he was CFO of a, a large international corporation. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to him around this time and he sort of got annoyed with me and banged his fist on the table and said, when the fuck will you grow up in business, Marcus? I was like, woof. He's like, there's only two jobs that you have to do. One, you need to see what the business needs. And the other one, you need to find out who's going to do it because it's never going to be, it never should be you. I was like, oh, that's right. I need to be managing outcomes, not tasks. Yeah. I need to be finding and building that, that stellar team of wonderful people, not just jumping in all the time. And his story was the same as mine. He'd, you know, he'd, he'd taken the company public and you know, he worked 70-hour weeks and he was walking through the streets of London and he went blind and fell over and he was in hospital for two months. And it was all stress-related. And that's when he learned that. And from then on, like for the rest of his career as CFO, people would always take the piss because he'd say, right, I'm joining this working group. But as soon as he'd join a new group, the first thing he would say, the first item on his agenda is my exit strategy. He's like, I'll be part of this for, for three months and here are the things I want to you know, bring to the table. And then after that, this person will succeed me. Yeah. And that, and that was the only thing. But the rest of the time he was like, you know, who's going to do it? Like, what does, what does the business need and who, who's going to do it? Those are the two things he's constantly thinking about. Um, and they had 65,000 staff. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there is that moment of you don't have to wait 65,000, you know, probably as you're getting to 2025, 20, you know, it's, it's time to start getting away from that. And it's hard, but it's focusing on that vertical development piece um, and the ripple effect in your personal life and health and everything will be so much more than the extra money you might make or you're less likely to, but even if you made a tiny bit more, that will have a much bigger impact. Where can, where can people find out more about you? Where can they, where can they reach out to you? So um, obviously I'm on LinkedIn. That's my main one. I'm not on Insta or Twitter so much. Twitter I just use to have a go at politicians. Please don't forget. <laughs> um, I, haven't, I haven't tweeted for a couple of years. I used to tweet at BBC QT when I was annoyed. Um, don't do that anymore because it's not good for my well-being. Um, but no, Marcus Hemsley, um, you go to the Fountain Partnership uh, website if you want to more, learn more about us. Can I give a 30-second plug for the Million Tree Pledge? Is that okay? Absolutely, yeah. yeah Wicked. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'm massively passionate about, and I think a lot of people are as well, is taking action on the climate emergency. 
Mm-hmm. So just over a year ago, myself and a few other fa- um, agency founders set up something called the Million Tree Pledge. So it's businesses planting trees predominantly through the ecology.com platform for planting a million trees to go way beyond our carbon emissions to draw down loads of CO2 to try and slow down climate change. Uh, it's going really well. We've got 65 pledges so far, uh, together pledging 41 million trees, and we've planted 6 million. So if you want to learn more about the Million Tree Pledge, or if you know any businesses that want to take really bold action on the, on the climate crisis, um, reach out to me or go to milliontreepledge.org. Beautiful. I'll put that link in there as well. Marcus, thank you thank for your you. time. And for anybody that's that's watched this and enjoyed it, or even if you haven't enjoyed it, go and go and pledge. Go to that, that link that's somewhere around this video or, or yeah. in the description of the audio uh, and go and pledge. Thanks for your time. It's a great session. All right. Take care, mate. Okay.